If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at liveonfourlegspodcast and on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. Listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we are a Pearl Jam podcast, as you all know, but we're taking a little break from that this week to become a Neil Young podcast, just for the week, but really it's kinda still Pearl Jam minus Eddie, so, you know, we're not really that much different, but it is gonna mainly focus on Neil Young, because we are doing the Neil Jam show from the Mirrorball Tour, the very short 11-show Mirrorball Tour that they did in that summer of 1995 in Europe, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about, and a lot of different details to get to, so let's get to them. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there, good afternoon, good evening, sir. Hello. Yeah, this is like, kind of, we're going to like hang out with our uncle. Yeah. Uncle Neil, Uncle Neil's a little weird, but you know he he tells some good stories. He's got a cabin so in the it's woods. Worth talking and to him from it, yeah, it's good good to talk to him once in a while. This is like you know you have to do you have to do the Zoom chat with the extended family when you're <laughs> when you're stuck home like this. So that's kind of what we're doing with this. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I I love the idea because you know it's such a unique time in Pearl Jam's history that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot because it's really. It's considered Neil Young's history just as much as it is Pearl Jam's. And when you think of Pearl Jam's history and not having it involve Eddie Vedder, it sort of gets thrown under the rug a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, he 
he was such a focal point and still is, you know, he's, you know, as much as he tried to, tried to step away from it, he is the, he is the lead singer. So he's automatically going to be associated with it. So, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know how many people this, you know, that this flew under the radar for, but yeah, I got to think there were some people like, wait, what? Who? Who are the other people in Pearl Jam? Right, right. You know. Yeah, I, I I think those are all great points. But um, look, Neil is is such a legend in his own right that you know for him to take the band under his wing and realize that maybe if they continue going with Eddie, he kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit because this is around when Vitalogy. Uh, they start recording Mirrorball around when Vitalogy is, is about to get released. I think he saw the writing on the wall, and I think he saw that there was some tension rising with the band and that Ed could be a little bit of, you know, he could be stubborn and he could be kind of a uh, a control freak. Um, so it's good that he took the band under his wing and sort of got them a different perspective on how to do this. And even Ed was in the studio for a little bit of it, so... He got to see the, how the band reacted to playing with him and performing and writing under him too. Yeah, and you know Stone talked about it in the in the Pearl Jam twenty movie. He's like, you know, maybe they were going through a little bit of crisis of confidence. Like, are we still the the band that we were? Even for him, like, am I still the the main guy? Can I still do like? Let me go in there and do the thing. He says, mm-hmm. you know, like he's they were maybe you know having a little bit of insecurity going on because like. It, it was Ed's band in the, in ninety four ninety five. He was starting to starting to exert some influence. So, yeah, and then for he talks about for Neil to come in and say, "Hey, you know, you guys are okay too, band. Come on, come on with me. I'm gonna let, let's go let's go do a thing. You know, you guys you guys are, you have worth beyond beyond you know being just the backing band. You know, Eddie Eddie and the Vetters. You know, it, it it could have easily become, but yeah, so important for them to and then. They talk about like you know even Ed talked about in that in that speech at the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I think it was correct me if I'm wrong but he says you know it was it was good to have an adult in our lives who actually like was a good role model yeah. you know someone who'd actually been through it been had a whole history in the music business and lived to tell about it you know I got to think that that was a huge influence for them so yeah this is this is definitely a turning point in their history absolutely yeah I I completely agree and I think for the most part. You know, the unfamiliarity with Jack Irons because Eddie knew Jack. I think this also tied them into Jack a little bit more because they started recording this before they went out on tour in Australia and uh, and Japan and all those places. So, yeah, I mean, like all the, all those things, recipe for, you know, getting the band back on track and, and uh, you know, figuring it all out. And they didn't need to do it with Ed, and uh, and it worked. It worked out well. So, again, we're, we're talking about Neil Jam today. Um, I'm curious as to your, since we won't really get to ever do a Neil Young show again, um, I'm curious as to your just history with Neil and listening to Neil. Did most of it stem from Pearl Jam or? Yeah, probably. I mean, I was, I've always been more of a casual Neil Young fan. Like I remember seeing, you know, going back and watching his performance of Rockin' in the Free World on Saturday Night Live from, I think it's 88 or 89. That's just a great, like unbridled performance. It's pure rock and roll joy. If you haven't seen that, go back and watch it. But I, I had seen that in the early '90s. I, you know, I remember seeing the the '93 performance of Animal, 
when he when he came on play, they did Animal and Rock in the Free World, just amazing. Uh, that, but yeah, Mirrorball was really the first, the first time that I really was like, oh okay, like I'm, I guess I'm gonna buy a Neil Young album now. Like I'm 17 years old, like okay, um, and like I was, I knew like some of the hits, like you know Ohio, you know Old Man, Needle and Damage Done, you know some of the some of the more famous stuff but i'd never really done like the the deep dive into it and i i still haven't like i'm i'm you know people talk about you know after the gold rush and harvest and all these classic you know on the beach and stuff like that but uh it's just never been something i've really you know really dug into but i i appreciate it whenever it comes on i like it I, you know i, I like listening to the show because he he kind of goes into the back catalog a little bit and pulls out some really cool stuff so um yeah, it was it was it was good to listen to, and I mean, I, and I absolutely loved Mirrorball. Like I when I when I got I listened to it all the time back then. So yeah, really really enjoyed. It. And this was I'd never really and then again never really done the deep dive into this tour. You know, there was so much going on in '95. You know, we forget about you know because now there's almost nothing going on. We might get a tour here and there, but '95 like Pearl Jam tours, the Far East, Australia. Mike Watt tour, then they get back together. They they do Soldier Field. Then there's this this Neil Neil Jam tour. There's Mad Season. There's another tour in the fall. Like there was so much going on that year. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the points that I'm going to bring up later that we can kind of elaborate on is what if there was no Ticketmaster boycott and like they were able to they'd be able to perform with Neil all over the U S. Like that could have been massive had that have happened oh, yeah. but it yeah. was really Definitely. just kind of stood stood in time as being just 11 11 shows and and that's it like that's all you get and it being european shows too i think that makes it more you know flying under the radar because obviously you know if, if they played in new york or boston it probably would have been the most unforgettable experience on the planet but you know it, it it's just kind of gets hidden away uh, being being played in Europe, um, but you did mention before, you know, Neil has such a a massive massive disc discog uh, that it is very hard to go back and pay attention to all the stuff that he's done and really study it. Um, you know, obviously you nailed the best albums, Harvest and uh, uh, After the Gold Rush. Everybody knows this is nowhere. Um, uh, and then Rust Never Sleeps is is fantastic as well. But there's so many albums that he put out in the 70s that like Zuma and Comes a Time where like there's good stuff on it, but they don't get that kind of same discussion as those other albums. And, and it just because it's Neil, maybe there are one or two songs off each of those albums that really have staying power over the last, you know, 40 years or so. But you kind of unless you're a massive massive neil fan you kind of just forget about some of them and i i I think that the only thing that that's due to is just the enormity of of his catalog basically well i think there's probably some they'd like to forget too you gotta think that everybody's well yeah of course there's some trash yes yeah but he did that on purpose so you know it's sure sure it's not 
and you know what? Honestly, I've listened to everybody's rocking before, and it's just it feels like one big spoof record. It, it's fun. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, it's it's garbage, but you can tell throughout the whole thing. Neil knows that it's it's terrible, and it came at a time where like you know everybody in the eighties was going through like fifties with withdrawals. So I mean, it kind of fit the landscape perfectly like 50s diners and crap like that so it made it made sense at least um let's uh okay so we did something kind of interesting for this show uh we got together a bunch of patrons this was one of our free bootlegs of the month every fourth of every month we send out a free bootleg of a show that we're going to be covering in the future and uh every now and again we're going to do some forums we're going to get some of the patrons together and just talk talk what they thought about the the bootleg in the era so uh, for a little bit in here we're gonna kind of splice in some of those some of those bites and uh some of the conversation that we had with the patrons so uh you'll see you'll see that once we get into them we'll we'll tee it up as we go along um but since we're on the subject of patreon uh let's uh say thank you to a couple of new patrons from this week um, yeah, we had a couple of people that joined up this week. A uh, big thanks to Casey Gioelli and Mark Liss, who both joined up Patreon this week. Um, you know, maybe it was hopefully they got a chance to listen to the the setlist draft episode that we put out there. So if that's something that that those guys are interested in, then definitely let us know because we're going to plan on doing a lot more of those. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Live on Four Legs. That's the number four. And for only $1 a month, you get access to all the bonus episodes we do, the setlist drafts, the evolution episodes, the bridge school series we've been doing, and also like the Devo episodes where we kind of pick a fun topic and talk about we do we do rankings or top whatever, you know. So there's there's a lot of content on there. So hope hope you guys are enjoying that. Yep. And uh, I think we're going to have a bridge school episode out pretty soon, if not this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Going into the 2000s finally. Yeah, 2001, that's like a very interesting era of the band because it's right smack and dab in the middle of of Binaural and Riot Act and the band was kind of sort of in flux a little bit. So we'll get to talk a lot about that, which should should be very interesting. Uh, But yeah, like John said, head on over to Patreon if you want to contribute to the show and uh, we're probably soon going to need some major contributions because we've been using Zoom a lot and I think it's time for us to get regular zoom because uh free zoom is not the answer uh so yeah th- those c- contributions would go into things like that so we can kind of give back uh to you guys and do events on zoom like the event that we're doing tomorrow last fan standing is back everybody so if you remember from about two months ago we did this uh, a little trivia competition on zoom It'll be out there tomorrow. We're going to post links. Uh, you know, we'll DM them on our Facebook page. If, if just get in touch with us, if if you want to be part of of the trivia, it'll it'll likely be at at nine p.m. Eastern time uh, tomorrow. We'll send you the links. Uh, basically, what it is, and you can find the video on our YouTube channel, is uh, we go through and we go, we give you one trivia question, and everybody has to guess an answer to it. Like, it yeah. Am I describing that right, John? I feel like there's a lot more to it than that. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like elimination trivia. So we'll, we'll go around, you know, we'll, we'll ask a question that has, you know, multiple, multiple answers. 
and everyone will get a chance to answer, you know, in order. If you miss one, you, you might get a strike. You know, we're not we're not so mean. We're going to kick you out after one one wrong answer. But, you know, after after two or three, depending on on which round, you know, we'll 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 whittle it down till we get to just a few people, and then we'll switch up the questions and make it a little harder until we uh, we have the last fan standing. Yep, and uh, la- the the last fan standing is going to have to beat Kieran this one because you'd have to think <laughs> that he'd be the favorite, winning the last one, getting to pick an episode. We'll do something for uh, the winner of this one, whether it's an episode or, or something else. Uh, we'll we'll get something in there. We haven't decided yet. So, uh, yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, keep your eyes out on social media. We're going to be posting stuff on that very soon. Uh, so, yeah. That'll all be happening tomorrow, the 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Zoom. Uh, all right, John, let's uh, let's kind of give it to our forum a little bit that we had. Let's kind of, you know, we talked a little bit about just the early stages of what was going on in 1995 and, and how, you know, the 95 uh, polo field show where Ed got sick was really the spark of all this and was really the first time that Neil got himself involved with playing with Pearl Jam. So why don't we hear some of, uh, uh, you know, what we talked about in the forum about that. Yeah, didn't they? This is Gabe. Hi, Central uh, Central Pennsylvania. Hey, guys. Uh, didn't they end up playing, like, Rocket and Free World twice? Yeah. So, like, they, did, they like, ended like, up doing a couple repeats. A makeshift for prize of it or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, it never surprised me that people were kind of crappy about it, right? I mean – what, what, weren't we in the middle of the Ticketmaster stuff? So, so the shows were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a little maybe few and far between or a little harder to get. I don't know. I was never surprised that people were crappy about it when Ed went off the stage. But what a show it would have been to see. I mean, it definitely would have been pretty cool to see. Yeah, and I think the reaction, of course, was mixed. You don't have back in 95. I think Neil was kind of uh, – you know, a relic of the past a little bit. And, uh, you know, people wanted Eddie. That's, he's the guy. If it was Jeff or if it was Stone that that left because they got sick, then okay, like, sure, Neil can fill in. But at least you still have Eddie. He was the selling point for the band. You bring in Neil, you know, this Canadian cowboy on stage, and they're playing songs that people have never heard before because Mirrorball is a month away from being released at this point. So, that's also kind of goes into people being a little, I guess, detracted from it. Yeah. I mean, there was that and there's, we hadn't thinned the herd at this point. Let's be honest. I mean, there was, this was some still hangers on points of, of early Pearl Jam fame. Um, at least I'm just throwing from my perspective. I mean, I think because they had, they had been playing with Neil at this point for a few years on and off. Um, you know, whether it was like the 93 tour when they um, were open for him in Europe and you know, obviously what happened with um, MTV um, with the music awards in 93. But this was still height of Pearl Jam mania. So trying to replace Ed with Neil Young going out on stage and making, you know, raucous cacophonic noise was not going to was not going to delight the masses of, uh, of Golden Gate Park, unfortunately. I would have been doing backflips had I been out there, but um, that uh, that was not meant to be. Well, yeah. it, Randy from Toronto here. Uh, hey, it's to- totally true. The, like, well, the first show that I ever saw Pearl Jam at was here in Toronto, 
And Neil Young with Booker T and the MGs was the the closing band. It was wow. Blues Traveler, Soundgarden. Wasn't Pearl. that anniversary like yesterday or something? Exactly, August eighteenth, ninety three. So, uh, so I, we had certainly seen him come on stage with them. Eddie came out at the end of of Neil's show, and they, obviously they brought everybody out. We did Rock and the Fruit at that show. Uh, but the idea, yeah, that it's in San Francisco and not in a place like Toronto where we all know Neil so well. Uh, right. There's a great video of that show on YouTube as well that you can watch. And, like the Cortez the Killer from that show is just incredible. Like they really do justice to it all. Um, and yeah, it's kind of incredible to think there's people there booing. It's bizarre. Um, let's get to Mirrorball. Like, you know, 25 years later, this is 25 years that the record has been out. Um, Neil Young has probably, what, 50 albums? And he has released one uh, one a year since 1967 or something like that. He releases an album just about every year. Before that. Yeah, right. And you're not counting, you know, CSN, CSNY stuff and Buffalo Springfield and all that. Uh, so, like, reactions to the album, because I, I remember – this was my dad's introdu- introduction to Pearl Jam here in 95 and, you know, through Neil Young, so, an artist that he liked, uh, I, I kind of got to be on the bandwagon with him after that with Pearl Jam. But um, he loved the album and I, I remember getting really good reviews at the time. And it's just, even from a Neil perspective, it's one of his better ones. I think it's very consistent as a Neil Young fan, as well as a Pearl Jam fan, I'm, I'm David Ritter from Lexington, Kentucky, by the way. I, I remember, I remember when I got it and I listened to it for the first time and I was just like, man, these two, these two great acts have come together. Um, and not really knowing about the past where they had been touring together. Um, both of, both of them, like Mike and Neil playing off each other on that album are just incredible. I didn't come to I didn't come to it until much later. So I did, I wasn't I don't remember. I'm sure I listened to it in 1995, but I mean I don't think I appreciated it until much later. Um, it's pretty damn good. I mean, where it falls yeah. in your young catalog, I mean it's uh, it's impossible to say. I, I'm so biased because of the Pearl Jam connection. Um, I'm biased because, and this probably won't be the last time I bring this up, but I'm the, I'm a Jack Irons guy. Uh, so for me, you know, I've only got yield and no code right in the, in the pro gym catalog with Jack behind the kit. So I consider this another one, you know, of, of his, and I just think he's so good on that album that it, for me, it just boosts the whole thing up. Um, so, I mean, where does it fall in the Neo catalog? I mean, high up for me personally, uh, I'm sure some Neo super fans probably have it. Uh, not quite as high. I'd be interested to hear, but uh, pretty high for me. Well, considering this one a vote on Neil's uh, fan club vault group that that you know they wanted this uh, pro shot uh, recording of this released, 40, I, I would think that either a lot of Pearl Jam's fans just bombed through and 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 uh, bombed the votes, or yeah, yeah. they actually really like cool. this era and 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 this album. I think it's a little bit of the latter. Um, and also, I'm, I'm a moron. I forgot to uh, say who I was earlier. I'm Pat Bogle from um, Albany, New York. Um, and, like you're uh, Pat. Yeah, nobody knows who you are, right? <laughs> um, uh, 
that time period for Neil was like, to me, it's pretty incredible. Like the output that he had in that early nineties period, like coming right out of like freedom, harvest moon, uh, sleeps with angels, which is like, you know, just absolutely killer as a record and completely understated because he didn't really tour that one. And then his, his flip into what he was doing with crazy horse in 96, 97, um, and doing this right in between was, was pretty, pretty wild. I mean, I remember as a fan of Pearl Jam, the anticipation, I, I was into Neil Young, but the anticipation of them working together was, was peak at that time. Cause again, it was Neil and crazy horse just came off of, um, releasing sleeps with angels. Vitology had just come out. And then all of a sudden like Usenet groups were exploding at the time. Back in the day when there was no such thing as imagining a Zoom call, Usenet groups were people <laughs> typing things into uh, into chat rooms about the rumors that were going around, and then recording, and then him popping up at a couple of the Seattle shows earlier that year. Obviously, the the shows that they did in January of that year at Constitution Hall, and and then um, of course you know Neil being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that that um, January it was just like there was a, a ton of hype and anticipation for it. And I think the interesting thing that came out of it when it started to come together and it, and it was released was the known entity that Ed was kind of like not on the record. You know, he was backup vocals on a couple of tracks. That was it. Um, and I think that to some Pearl Jam fans, I think that bummed them out a little bit. They expected a little bit more there, but I don't know. I found it to be, especially looking at it in the rear view mirror of what you know and all of the different things that were happening at that time. Um, it was pretty insightful for them to just be like, yeah, you're going to go, you know, I'm going to sit it out. You guys go record this and go tour it together and, and really give them some breathing room um, to, to kind of experiment and do some interesting stuff. The impact also it all had on the 1995 touring and particularly you see it on the, at least I feel like you see it on the shows that they played post the, the August European tour that they did with Neil. It has like a, a, a just a different vibe than probably any period of Pearl Jam has. Like it's very uniquely grounded in a, a Neil Young crazy horse influence. Once again, thanks to everybody and, uh, you know, not every single person's voice that was at the forum and part of the forum is, is there, but there were about like eight to 10 people there. And when we mentioned that we need to not use free zoom anymore, there were two different sessions. So for those that kind of got booted and couldn't get back in, we're sorry about that, but we are going to try to get our own for, for, for next time. Uh, and we promise that won't happen in last fan standing. We have that set up, but, um, yeah, so there, you know, we might not go back to the forum for the rest of the show. We might have like one more time because we tried recording some other things in the second session. It didn't work out. So you'll just have to listen to John and I and, and just deal with it like you do every week. So, uh, all right, let's, let's get into the show. They come out roaring and, uh, just like they did at the polo fields they open up with big green country and kind of i don't remember if i mentioned this in the the section that we talked about but there's a reason why they open up with big big green country and it uh, it goes back to what happened that night when he got sick and just the line a pack of wolves want their money back they saw everybody that was restless and i think that was neil's tongue-in-cheek way of saying like all right well here's what you get 
instead of what you want. And they and they opened with this at every single Neil Jam show, I think, too. Mm. It, yep. It was they, they didn't really vary up the set list very much. You know, they I'm sure they had a limited time to to rehearse and get everything ready, so they probably just worked through a set list. And but yeah, I think Big Green Country is a great opener. You know, I love the way it the song opens up right at the beginning, and the the solo gets a big reaction. You know, when Neil takes that first guitar solo, the crowd's into it. And yeah, it's it's a great way to start. You know that that line's great. Like, you know, who would have thought? You know, when they first wrote the song, that it would be so appropriate. But um, yeah, it's just it's a great way to start. Love it. Yeah, a lot of what we talked about on the forum about the show is just how great the Jack sounds on it. Uh, again, like I don't know if Dave A's style would even be able to fit with Neil. So that's another thing that really mm-hmm. kind of came together really nicely with with Jack's appearance here. And uh, just really early on, there's just a ton of energy. There's a video out there. I'm sure we'll post it to social media if we haven't already, but there's a full show video. And you see, like, Jeff is just wild. He's out of control. Like, he's feeling the energy. And and even this was, I think, the 10th of 11 shows that they did. Uh, They still have to be feeling like it's kind of a dream here, you know, every time they take the stage with him. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm sure the first couple of shows were a little bit tentative, and you know they were still working some, some things out. But by this time, yeah, they're just let loose, have fun, you know. And again, there, there's no pressure on on those guys, you know, for for Jeff and Stone, and even even Mike, like who normally has the spotlight most of the show. Like he can just kind of like step back and be one of the guys, and you know they yep. can just w- work on playing with Jack and get it get into a nice rhythm and just do their thing. And yeah, Jeff looks like he's having so much fun. He's jumping around and, and bouncing around like like he like he did in the back in the day absolutely yeah and uh lest us forget who do we have on keyboards for this show that would be brendan o'brien yeah, yeah they, they don't he, he gets a little cameo in the video but yeah he's he's really prominent in the in the songs here he's he's playing along and it's it was great i'm sure you know after he came out and did you know the the soldier field show came out and played on a couple of songs so that was maybe a a little taste of it but and then he was he was on the recording you know he, he played on the merkin ball record and so yeah you know i'm sure it was just a thing like hey you know what are you doing for the next month come along you know we're gonna right. take a trip we need somebody let's go right are you not producing any of the greatest albums in the 90s this month <laughs> <laughs> because that was pretty much his whole entire decade uh some of the best albums uh from the 90s are all in his hands and i i would have to think and around that time, he was probably doing uh, Purple. Um, was that out yet in 95? Oh, that was probably no out. Yeah, no Purple idea. was probably out. But um, Evil Empire, I think that was something he worked on. That came out in 96. So mm-hmm. 
that had to have been around that time. So yeah, like really cool that you got a studio engineer in the mix and, you know, and obviously Brendan O'Brien's kind of been like a sixth man or, or seventh man, so to speak for the band. And, and he's kind of synonymous when you think of, of their legacy and their history. So it, it's very cool to see him in this spot. Um, yeah, all this stuff early is all mirror ball stuff. There's, Probably, I think, 15 songs in total from this show and six Mirrorball songs. So this is just kind of getting all the Mirrorball songs right right out in front after Big Green Country, Song X, Act of Love, Downtown. Probably this combination, outside of uh, Throw Your Hatred Down, probably the best three songs on that album. What do you think? I, I don't know if I can go that far. I, yeah, you gotta, you gotta I mean, have on the ocean in there for me. Yeah, there's so many good songs on the album. I, 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 but like, as far as memorable ones, as far as ones that kind of stick with you, like these three are very, very high on the list. I would think, especially yeah, and, you know, and, and Pearl Jam had done Act of Love, you know, at that that Constitution Hall show early '95. So, you know, people were maybe a little bit familiar with that one, and you know. Song X has, has popped up from time to time, so these are the ones that that you know have a little more history with with the band as well. So yeah, it was nice to see them them in there. But the thing I noticed too is that you know Neil's taking all these guitar solos. He is. You know, um, you've you've got this caged animal in McCready over there on on the side of the stage. Like, let him loose, let him do his thing, man. This could have easily. You know, you, you go back to things like Reach Down and like some of the early things like Black and Alive, you know, back, this would have been perfect for, for him to take, just extend some of these songs and just really let loose. I kept waiting for it and it just never came. Well, doesn't he get a, he gets a solo in downtown, I think, right? He does. He finally, he finally gets one in downtown. You can definitely tell the difference because Neil is more of a, like a percussive guitar player. He's more of like a, he has that kind of like really hard strumming that that, that Eddie does too. They, they, they kind of he probably got that a little bit from him, but yeah, you, you definitely tell the difference. And oh yeah, I wish I wish the camera would have panned over because I would have loved to see him do that solo. But yeah, he gets he gets a couple of moments, but he never really they never really let him out of the cage on this one. You're yeah, you're right. This is really this is Neil's thing, and I think Neil is very in a way he's kind of the same as Eddie where you know he has to be in control of things and and we can talk about Crazy Horse a little bit and how he's just like they're his house band and he's really kind of running the show when it when it comes to that but um you, you know it, it's a Neil it's a Neil show and while I, I I want Mike I I have to give it to Neil in this because he, it's just he's a legend and you can let Mike go a little bit and let him go off. Yeah, that's that's great. But also, it is kind of cool to see Neil soloing for, you know, like with Jack backing him and with Stone backing him and with, you know, with everything going on there. Like, I think that's just as cool as if Mike was soloing for Neil, you know? Oh, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, it, it's, it's not an ego thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put that on him. I'm sure he was happy to... To just you know play his parts and do his thing and you know if he gets a solo great he'll 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 do the thing and then he'll go back to go back to playing his part but yeah they, they look like they're having a great time you know especially you know during downtown you know when 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 Mike's doing his solo Neil goes out to goes out to rock out with Jeff a little bit and he you know takes a moment to kind of like to 
appreciate them a little bit so that that was nice but yeah another thing too they they never really he never really gets on the microphone at least in the in the video that i saw in the recording he never really goes on and says hey you know thanks to these guys in pearl jam for being here you know we, just, just one time the, he just stone, asks how, you, how Jeff, you doing yeah. that's it yeah but like you know you and i'm sure he didn't need to you know everybody knew who they were i think we had right. we had someone uh someone write in on social media said they were at the show and I, you know yeah. they were they were expecting, you know, Eddie to be there, you know, like, why would you, I'm sure every, most of the people that went to the show who weren't like the hardcore Neil fans were like, oh, we're going to go see this and, and Ed's going to come out and sing. They're going to do some Pearl Jam songs. Just watch. But also but, yeah. you don't get from the crowd. You don't get any chance, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all chance for Neil and, and like loud chance too. This is, this is a Dublin. This is like a Irish football club type crowd. Like they, are very very heavy into neil and i i you just didn't need eddie for this it, it wasn't his right. platform i you know right. i i like that he wasn't a part of it so uh i while, agree yeah i'm not i'm not saying he should have been there i agree that you know that's it, that's not his not his moment right and i i think when i was at msg for the temple of the dog show i remember uh, like and it's just bullshit like nobody knows nobody knows what they're talking about but somebody in the bathroom or or uh, you know, on a food line or something like that, was like, Eddie's here tonight. Oh, yeah, where'd you hear that one from? Uh, people are talking. Oh, yeah, who's talking? Uh, people. <laughs> like, it doesn't come from anywhere. Like, I, I don't... Ed's not the kind of person that shows up to steal a spotlight like that, you know, it, just for one song yeah. or something. It's... Yeah. Uh, so... No, I mean, that that's that's the thing with his personality. You know, he's he's not... He doesn't want to be the guy to step into the spotlight in the you know in the gold lame suit and be like, look at me, this is this is this is my thing. Here I am, here I am. Right. You know that's just not that's just not his personality. Right, and also he's he's got a lot of shit to deal with. He's writing sure. half the songs off no code sure. at this time anyway. So you know if you're a no code fan, I think you would take no code for you know eleven measly mirror ball shows, uh, which are not measly by the way. But anyway, um, so yeah. A f- fantastic little section there of song x act of love downtown not ones that pearl jam ever goes back to act of love a little bit in their history they went back to it once in 98 and then uh i think they played act of love when they did uh neil came out in toledo i think that was one of the songs they did yeah but i think so um yeah this is not one that they've gone back to and we'll get back to talking about that in a little bit so uh Mr. Soul comes after this, and this is kind of uh, the rarely played Buffalo Springfield track that Neil busts out, which kind of it seems like a surprise, and and it's not one you know I know Buffalo Springfield, I I, I listen to Buffalo Springfield, I have uh, the again I have that that on vinyl, but um, I didn't really know this like know this know this uh, you, you know it, it just didn't stick with me I guess as 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 you'd say um so what's interesting about it is uh i'm I'm gonna throw this to the forum to talk about it a little bit because it sort of it ties in some things with the band and uh bagel actually said something really important which i'm gonna piggyback off of so let's listen to him and then we'll come right back i mean they were playing this the in 93 with booker t and the mgs i can't say for sure how often it was played before that but it stayed with um with crazy horse after because it's it's something that they played um a bunch in those uh 95 96 97 tours that they did it was uh, in the mix it's on that um that 
year of the horse record. Yeah. And I think the actual, I think the version of that is uh, one that they played at the bridge show in one of those years, 95 or 96, which is, sounds just like intense and crazy, crazy horse playing acoustic and just like completely shredding it. Um, but it's the thing that it was awesome about this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I either I'm just like overhyping it, but if you like hone in on Jack's drums on this, it sounds exactly like he's playing Last Exit yeah. behind Mr. Soul. You, you mentioned Whoa. you mentioned something about it, and I, uh, yeah, I think I think he I think he hit something there. Bagel said that this kind of had like a last exit feel to it. And I listened to it another two times after we had that conversation. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, last exit, that drum beat in the beginning sounds like last exit. I listened to the actual song, the actual recording of the song, and I wanted to see the differences. It's got like a complete not for you vibe. That's I was getting not for you all over that. Huh, okay. Like cool. that, um, that whole like bridge that, na, 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 like, all felt like not for you to me. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that that's about the the right time period too, like ninety four, ninety five. That's interesting. Right. I'm just wondering if Neil thought that maybe okay, like this is right in their wheelhouse. He, he listened to Vitalogy and he was thinking, all right, well, what's the most Vitalogy sounding? song in his catalog this could this be it that could be something that could have been on his mind but you know digging more into it mr soul is something that that he goes back to every now and again so makes sense okay yeah i mean and and two you know and again this is not one that i was familiar with um but i went back and, and read about it and if you look at the lyrics like the song is about you know kind of going through problems with with sudden fame and kind of being uncomfortable with stardom and like being kind of not cool with being thrust in the spotlight real quick. So I got to think that had something to do with it too. Like maybe he, he picked it out for the for the meaning or maybe one of the band members picked it out. Like, Hey, you know what, what about this one? You know, that that's, that's kind of, that was a cool song. And this yeah. goes way back to, I think it was released in 66 or 67. Yeah. Buffalo so Springfield goes, goes way back. So but yeah, I think probably the subject matter had something to do with it too. You know, very, very relevant to what they were going through at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, like it just has this last exit meets not for you vibe. And even the way if you listen to the recording and you listen to how they play it live, it's got that Vitalogy groove. You know, the the 60s kind of had uh, most rock songs in the 60s had a very like, you know, uh, what do they call it? Four, four beat. Yeah. Like, boom, 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 boom. But this this had this was 
able to breathe. This had space to it. Like, it felt like a Vitalogy song, you know? Yeah, and that that's Jack, too. And, like, and like, like Patrick talked about, the, the drums on this, like, Jack does a really good job, you know, t- making this song his own. And, and yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was one of the highlights. You know, I don't know. We, we may end up doing a, a, a top three moments in it. I don't know yet, but uh, this is definitely one of them. So in between songs, uh, crowd is just nuts. They're absolutely a- ape shit. They better settle in because they're in for it right here because here comes scenery and it's a 19 minute version of scenery. Now, okay, this is where. Neil is kind of tapping in to the rest of the band and saying, okay, we're doing this. This is what we usually do with Crazy Horse. Can you guys handle this? Pearl Jam is not Fish. They're not a jam band. They're not a band that goes off and does this kind of thing. The closest thing that they get is, you know, sometimes they'll jam on Rearview Mirror, which honestly at the time they weren't doing. Sometimes they'll jam on, uh, on Immortality, which... Honestly, at the time, they really weren't doing that much either. They, This is completely out of their wheelhouse, but Neil kind of brings in this comfort and makes it work for them. He kind of brings everybody into it, and it feels like a complete, um, uh, you know, uh, collaboration on it. Yeah, and when I and when I first saw this, you know, and we we kind of teased this when we when we talked about the show that oh, you know, there's like a really extended version of scenery, and you know they were they were doing this in almost every show, really extending. And when you know when you first look at the when you when you put it into your your music player and you look at the times, you're like, oh man, like 19 minutes is going to be great to listen to. Like they're just going to go off, and like it's it's going to be fantastic. But I gotta say, like this one. This one didn't really, it didn't really live up to the hype, I think, for me. Like, the, I thought, and it's interesting you mentioned those other songs where they kind of get to that, that eight or nine minute, like a porch or a rearview mirror or even, uh, like some, some of the blacks at that point were getting extended, you know. Um, I think they kind of get to minute eight and I think they, they try to do a build up and it's a little disjointed. Like, it doesn't perfectly come off, but like, Neil has to kind of come on and, and get him back on it to kind of pick him up for the second half of it. And like I, I kept waiting for again, I kept waiting for McCready to just let loose and just tear the, you know, just blow these people away with like a, a face melting like like I said like a reach down type of solo, but it it just never came. Yeah, while it was collaborative, I think it was also very structured, and I think that's kind yeah. of Neil's way that you know, uh, the best way that I can put it is going to be completely off anybody's radar. It, I'm going to. The thing that I'm going to describe right now is going to be just mean nothing to just about everybody that's that's listening. So I'm going to say it anyway because at least one or two people will get it. So Macho Man Randy Savage was known as a wrestler for planning out his matches move by move. That's not really how you plan wrestling matches. You go by feel. You kind of, you know, you, you feel the crowd and you kind of anticipate what's going to come. And he was the kind of person that needed to plan out every single move, every single minute of the match in order to get the whole match constructed. I think that's also Neil Young when it comes to jams. Could be. Yeah. I mean, 
that could have been something where they rehearsed it and he was like hey guys you know just just follow me you know just stick with me i'm, I'm I'll, I'll i'll take the lead and right you know, i'll we'll, we'll just follow me and and wherever i go just follow you know and a lot of that is like this kind of in the middle in the middle you know 11th 12th minute you know neil is holding out you know one of these echo notes and you kind of get brendan o'brien's doing something in the background but the band isn't as involved in that part but you know i i guess now that you mention it like maybe you save it for later a little bit and cortez the killer is kind of the one where they really gelled a little bit more maybe it's that so all right well look Scenery's, scenery and Peace and Love are two completely underrated songs off the album. Unfortunately, they didn't get to play Peace and Love at the show, but uh, they did release on this bootleg that's been out forever. Uh, they released like four songs from a Stockholm show, and Peace and Love is one of them. So uh, we can talk about that later if we wanted to, but we uh, let's let's finish up this set list and see where this takes us. So, okay, 19 minutes of this. It's time to take a break for the band. They're not used to jamming at all. They're not used to Neil style construction, uh, you know, playing like this. So uh, Neil's going to be solo for a w- little while, and he grabs the acoustic to do this four song section that really brings the house down. Uh, comes a time, needle and the damage done. Don't let it bring you down in Mother Earth. So some of these are Neil's best songs. I think that Don't Let It Bring You Down is probably top five my favorite Neil Young songs easily love that song uh needle in the damage done I mean it's it's such a classic and and uh we kind of mentioned in the forum this is probably what got cut out of a recording that we did but uh we mentioned that you know the crowd is singing along to it and they're really intent intensely singing and it's kind of becoming a sing-along but the subject matter is so depressing that you know would Neil really want them to kind of participate in that matter. especially that i mean again talk about a relevant song for for what we were going through in 1995 definitely yeah yeah the the crowd especially just stood out to me because this was unexpected for me too. listening to this like oh you know the the you know band's gonna take a break and do a little acoustic you know middle set here it's cool and again like again i'm not familiar with don't let it bring you down again it wasn't really a huge hit so yeah i mean just the thing that stood out to me was how how intense the crowd is. Just like you said, they they turn it into a sing along. Like this is this is absolutely crowd service. Yeah, and I I kind of equate it a little bit in a way to how Alive after a while became such a positive influence on the band. And it's it's nothing like that, but at least it makes the crowd feel something in the same way. And and I, maybe it doesn't 
change the meaning of the song, break a curse, so to speak, like Alive does, but it definitely, everybody in that crowd has an attachment to it. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and Mother Earth, too, when he when he goes over to sit at the pump organ, that brought back a little uh, little memories of, of some Pearl Jam-related moments, too, like going back to that Long Road performance from 2001 where Neil was playing organ. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you got to think River Cross, too. Like, you know, they... they sure. They they show a little bit of you know the the people come out and like lift the pump organ take it off the stage immediately after that that definitely hit me as like oh yeah we could we could be hearing something like that in this next tour and Ed has been using the pump organ for a long time at his shows uh, yeah. he uh, I think he plays uh, isn't it a pity by George Harrison and I'm so tired by Fugazi yeah there, there's a couple mm-hmm. of them, couple of them yeah. yeah yeah so. I think this is yeah, this is absolutely one of the big influences on that for sure, and I didn't even know really. I, I knew that he did, you know, the version of Long Road, but I didn't know that like he played on Mother Earth. I didn't know that that was him. I just thought that was a studio. I just thought that was a studio uh, recording. So really cool moment. You get something a little bit different. Neil shows off all of his talents, and you know, I think when looking at all the set lists. They always had this section in there. He'd change it up a little bit. They'd throw in a My My Hey Hey or After the Gold Rush. But for the most part, this was kind he, I think he did Mother Earth every night. I think he did Needle and Damage Dunk every night. So this was pretty standard for what was going on in that set. All right. Here we get to our last Mirrorball song in the night. And I think this is easily maybe not easily but it's one of the most impactful songs off of mirror ball and maybe maybe we can say easily impactful on just the career of neil and the staying power that the song had when you know later on in neil's career because none of these songs really lasted much longer than this tour throw your hatred down got to get in some shows after uh, after this tour a little bit. And I think he played it earlier this year on one of his uh, fireside sessions, I believe. Yeah, that's one thing I think one of our one of our patrons in the in the forum had mentioned too that he had, he had seen them play it in 97, I think. So yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome that it stuck around and then in, you know, in 2016, you know, Pearl Jam brought it back. So yeah, it's it's one that it's kind of had a had a little bit more staying power than most and oh yeah it's it's fantastic it's it was so great to to see the band come back out and you know it gets a big reaction as well it's it's just awesome and then you know neil just goes off at the end of it he's you know flailing around doing doing his thing it's it's a great great version of throw your nature down yeah and i think you totally needed that like i give i i like the song mother earth but i think this was kind of that was kind of well it was a nice Nice to see Neil at the pipe organ at, at the pump organ. Uh, it, it was kind of a downer a little bit, and you needed something to just juice you back up. And and this was perfect. I think this is this may end up being in my top three of this night because this was such a perfect moment for for that time. And I felt a lot of energy coming from the band on this.
and the rest of the show is just nothing, nothing but energy. So Cortez the Killer, this is, what, a 15-minute version of this? And again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you're playing 15 songs. It's a two-hour show, so some songs have got to stick around for a little bit. And I would think that this is probably one of Neil's most epic songs in his catalog. He kind of, he goes like, he has three different songs, styles of songs. He has the complete rocker. He has like the out there Western jam. And then he has like the acoustic ballad. And obviously this fits there, that, that jam in that jam category where it's just gets to epic proportions and it has such a great build to it, and then it kind of it rests easy a little bit at the chorus, and they keep building. I, I love this song. Maybe besides Cowgirl in the Sand, this is probably one of Neil's most epic of his epic songs. Yeah, I think the, the first time I heard this song, I was probably in, in college, doing college radio, and I think the band Built to Spill had put out a live album this is maybe 20 years ago and they had ended with a version of Cortez the Killer and it was like 22 minutes and I just remember that being like the song that you could put on and then like take a little break so I would always this would this would got a lot of play and I remember thinking like man for a long song like this is this is kind of great like it, it it doesn't really drop in energy like you said it keeps building and building and yeah to hear to hear you know Pearl Jam backing Neil Young and Cortez the Killer is 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 epic enough but yeah they do a really good job it, it didn't feel like 15 minutes no no not at all yeah this song just kind of it, it's it, to me it's kind of like watching a mini movie or like you get kind of in images of what could be going on in your head it's it's sort of westerny like i, I get that western vibe that you know like uh, cowboys and indians kind of kind of thing I, I you know i i get that vibe from it and it's just such a a masterwork in storytelling that, you know, Pearl Jam, I think at that point wasn't there yet. And maybe hasn't even reached, hasn't ever reached Neil at that high of a platform where, you know, their songs can kind of be like a mini movie. I think somebody mentioned in our, our forum that every Neil album feels like one gigantic song. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since I've listened to Zuma, which I believe this is on, but um, yeah, that's got to feel like, you know, watching the Star Wars trilogy or something. Oh, yeah, I mean, think of a song like Cortez, you think about like, you know, it's like the Incas and, it, you know, you talked about the Western feel of it. It's, you know, South American based on that. I think Hernan Cortez, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to give a history lesson here, but yeah, the, the lyrics really tell a story and it's really evocative and yeah the music music really fits with it it's, it's a it's a great piece of songwriting for it you know i don't know if the studio version is just as long as, as they do it live but yeah it's it it definitely you know you you definitely feel like it needs that needs the length to tell the story this takes up a good chunk of side two i believe off that album i want to say that most of neil's stuff like most of his albums are 10 to 9 9 to 10 songs and he'll have one side two track that's like 9 minutes long and then that's like the epic of his album right that's you know and and sometimes it's it's less formulaic than that but i feel like 
at least for that album, that's that's where that's that's at. But look, it's just they're making magic here. And again, the builds and Neil absolutely tearing a hole in his guitar. Uh, Mike getting a few solos. Jeff and Neil having moments together. Like this is, I feel like this is the moment that the band remembers from this experience the most is probably this song and that's probably why they go back to it in Toledo as well could be yeah Another epic, classic Neil Young song, Powderfinger, just has this triumphant accomplishment to it. Like, that's Neil does this so well, where, again, he makes songs sound like they're part of the movie soundtrack. And, and that's, I get the, that little lick he does in Powderfinger. Like, I get that sort of feeling of rejuvenation, like positivity, like triumphant. Uh, triumphantry, like it just, it has this victory winning vibe, you know, like I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it, uh, he definitely elicits some absolutely incredible storytelling with the music here. Yeah, and there was some nice, you know, we talked about the build up for this killer, same thing for this one, like 
uh, Jeff and Jack, it was just really fun to watch them play off each other and and play, especially with these this, these last few songs here. They were really, you know, I think probably a, a probably a function of having you know ten shows behind them at this point. But yeah, they were and you know the rehearsals and they were really feeling and they were really like we talked about the beginning just letting loose and having fun like you know all the spotlights on neil we can just do our thing but yeah Powderfinger, this this little section here i mean there's it's just it's just hit after hit and he really you know can can take these songs live and and you know that, that's something that that pearl jam has learned to do too is to to kind of take their songs and turn them into something different live yeah, yeah I, I, that's that's a really good point that I think that they brought into you know the 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 following years you know just just keep just keep that energy just keep that build to it absolutely um, and that's a uh, Powderfinger closes the main set so we do get an encore two song encore which lasts you know if this is Pearl Jam wise this is like a five song encore time wise uh, but. If this was a Pearl Jam show, you'd also get Rockin' in the Free World. connection that we have to this of course they're going to do it at every single show uh it's the one that they know best however they aren't performing it the same way that they're used to performing it it's way more it's way more paced it's way it's more grooved it's you know it's not what they what they what they usually did at shows then and and at shows now, it's just, they just kind of make it the party song, the rock and roll song, and they just kind of go wild on it. But this really feel like it had a rhythm and a building momentum to it. Yeah, and it, I mentioned that that Saturday Night Live performance where I think it's Neil and Crazy Horse in in 80, 88 or eighty nine playing, and and it really had that kind of dirty like dirgy feel to it. And it it kind of has it's kind of like a stomp, you know. It's Mm-hmm. And this had that feel to it, 
definitely. I thought it was great. And Neil, like, I loved when, when Neil kind of broke it down near the end and it got really low. And he just kind of kind of just chugging along on it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Do you think that without Pearl Jam's influence on this song, do you think that it's not it, it doesn't become one of the bigger Neil songs in his catalog? Ooh. Probably not. I, I mean, I got to think they had a lot to do with it. But again, I, I don't know, you know, Neil's fan base enough to know how they regard this song and if they if it would have kind of gone up into that higher echelon without without Pearl Jam kind of taking it and, and making it their own. Right. I thought I had read that like one once you know around that VMAs time. I think Neil had dropped the song live. I think you know after that SNL performance. I think he had dropped it for a couple years, and then Pearl Jam playing it, it kind of re- reignited his passion for it. So you know, I, yeah, yeah. After and after that, now it's kind of by dumb Americans everywhere. It's considered a patriotic song. So it's you know, you, you go out on Fourth Fourth of July barbecues and you hear "Rocking in the Free World" and "Born in the USA," and you know, yep, that's uh, that's a family that doesn't pay attention at all. Oh yeah, some of the lyrics in this one would would definitely give that away. I think you'd make it a couple of minutes in and be like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, Turn right. This off. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Don't just listen to the chorus. Don't just listen to the catchy parts. Uh, but I mean, just amazing to see them play this with Neil and you know a different vibe uh, than with Eddie, of course. But like, I-, I love how they were able to kind of make it do it both ways. And 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 you have to think too. This bringing back up the Polo Field show, they played this twice. They did like a reprise of this at the Polo Field show, which was kind of frowned upon by a lot of people and is kind of laughed at when looked upon now. Oh, yeah, well, that's the thing that you know, you always laugh when you, you know, if you go to see like the one hit wonder band from the 90s at the state <laughs> fair, everybody, oh, they, you know, they, they come out and play their hit song. And then the joke is, everyone comes out. I'll play it again, play it again. So yeah, you, you don't you don't want to be in that in that company. But yeah, they were out of songs. They had they had to do something. It's it's funny because now that 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 brings back a story of a friend who who went and saw a Flock of Seagulls at a small club, and I said, okay, how many times did they play Iran? And and uh, was it I was it I was. Was yeah, that their song? That was their song. Yeah. It was okay. I was getting them and Aha confused for a sec. Um, so they, he said they played it twice. They played one version that was completely and totally electronic, and then they played it normally. So yeah, that 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 pretty much that's par for the course right there. That's exactly you know nobody's going to that show and being like, ah oh, man, flock of seagulls. Let's get let's get deep into the back catalog right here, right? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I don't know. I wanted to mention too. I don't know if you had, you had seen this, but you know the the movie Almost Famous, uh, you know Cameron Crowe movie. Uh, Cameron Crowe, of course, you know has a history with Pearl Jam. It it's recently come out. You know they've they've kind of had the anniversary of the movie. It's kind of come out that, oh, that Neil, Neil Young was supposed to have a a role in that movie. He yeah. was going to play the guitar player's dad. He was supposed to kind of come out. and He was going to have this kind of young wife, and you know he was going to come out and be like, hey, you know here's you know uh, there there's not much to it but yeah they said it it came down to it he, they had the wardrobe picked out and everything but it i think it either got cut at the last minute or he couldn't make it to the last minute but 
and you know i think cameron crow you know he already had a relationship with pearl jam even you know throughout the 90s uh, so I got to think that was maybe him throwing in something, you know, Hey, I'm going to have Neil Young be kind of like the older mentor guy to this, to this band from the seventies. You know, that would have been really cool to see. Well, Cameron Crowe, I think at all, like the, the, the big cover piece pieces that were written about Neil in, in the seventies, I think were all written by Cameron Crowe, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Cause there was a, I, I got really into this. So the Memphis show, the Memphis Pearl Jam show in, in 2014, uh, on the airplane in, you know, in, in the airport, I bought uh, an issue of Rolling Stone that was like basically the Neil Young platinum issue or whatever they call it. So it's all like the best stories and cover stories of Neil Young's throughout yeah. the years. And then they do a top 100 songs and they, do, and they like, did the one for Pearl Jam too. And I should have bought it when I had the chance. Yeah, I I have that somewhere too. It's yeah. it's not as I'll be honest with yeah. you, it's not as as well done as Neil's. Uh, but just reading some of the stories, they're just whew, it's good stuff. If you can get your hands on it, yeah, it's it's well worth the read. And I think most of those cover stories were Cameron Crowe stories. So yeah, hmm. great connection there. And uh, who who knows what could have been, you know, having Neil in Almost Famous would have been really, really cool. Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't strike me as that type. Yeah, and, and maybe that's why it would have worked, you know. It kind of would have been this, the kind of anti-Neil, you know. Mm-hmm. You know right. We'll never know. Right, yeah, we won't. So, um, but what we do know is they close this show with like a hurricane and it's a great way to end. And again, like you're getting all the epic songs. Uh, and this is sort of when listening to this, I was sort of thinking to myself like, Hey, this is kind of in a way, if you played this and Cortez, the killer back to back, they would kind of fit like sort of an epic saga together. And then I said, you know what? That sounds really stupid. I'm not going to mention that on air. So, out of all things, I went to his Wikipedia page, and I wanted to look at all the songs off of his album. So, I didn't know what album like Hurricane was on. It's on American Stars and Bars. I had no idea. That's not an album that I listen to very often. I just know the song because it's a fantastic song. And in the liner notes of Wikipedia, it says, This is, like a hurricane is considered a continuation of the vibe that Cortez the Killer gave off. Yeah, I I was shocked that somebody else made that connection to it and it made sense. I I could have thought thought that was the dumbest thing that I ever said and it apparently does make sense. So, I don't know, try listening to them back to back. They have that the longevity, the you know, the massive solos, the massive builds, and you know, I think like a hurricane has more of a uh, a catchy rhythm to it, but yeah, I, I can see them kind of being packaged together. Yeah, there's a part near the end where it really it breaks down to, to just Neil again, and he's playing something in it. It almost sounded like a snippet of a Mirrorball song. I'm not sure if that's on purpose or if it's part of the song and it's just a similar melody, but it was Which a nice way to, to tie the whole thing whole thing into and I couldn't place it. It was just a little riff that he did a couple of times when he's when he's playing solo and he, he's singing near the end, but it 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 sounded a lot like one of the Mirrorball songs, like a 
a melody. I'd have to go back and listen to it again. Maybe we can we can play it and people people can if they can hear it. But yeah, it it sounded it was a nice way to tie the whole thing in. I thought it was a great way to end the show. Yeah, and what they do here, I mean, this is fantastic. They, you know, I'm looking at the song and I'm saying, oh, it sounds like it's over. You know, this is five six minutes in, but there's you know five ten minutes of song left, and that part of the song they get like this kind of build and Jack does does a tremendous job with this where he's building and you keep waiting for that final beat. Like, when's it going to finish? When are we going to get that final, you know, euphoric, you know, rock and roll show, uh, you know, ending here. And it doesn't come. It just holds. And it holds for about like a minute or two before they finally build back into another version of the chorus. And then they kind of jam a little bit and they do it again and I'm fucking fooled again I can't believe I got fucking fooled again I learned I, I learned right, nothing from right. them damn it <laughs> yeah I mean um, I think that's that, that's the sign of, of a great song is like it it's not predictable it, they, they can throw those twists in and yeah like it, you feel like you're you're along for the ride yeah yeah it's just and you know what they don't even end the song on that just that dramatic rock and roll beat it, it just kind of fades out and you hear the last person you hear is actually Brennan O'Brien. You kind of hear the keyboard fade out a little bit, and that's how the show ends. And it's such a an eerie, cryptic way of ending, and sort of anticlimactic rock and roll way of ending a show that I didn't even realize that Neil would do something like that. But you know what? Kind of makes sense now. You know, just sort of the mystique of his uh, his career. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of like an ellipsis, a to be continued you know, for, for next time. And yeah, that was kind of the attitude too, like kind of the anti-rock star vibe that, that he put off. Like he's always been, he's always kind of flipped the middle finger to, to whoever is in charge at the, at that time. You know, you go back to like this notes for you and stuff like that. And even, right. You know, some of the stuff in the, in the sixties with, with Buffalo Springfield and CSNY, like he was, he was always kind of on the outskirts of the mainstream. So yeah, I, I can, I can, I can't see him doing like a big rock and roll style ending. Like it's, and again, it was the '90s. That that was what was cool. Like it wasn't cool to be a big rock star. So yeah, I mean that that's that totally fits. All right, so we made it to the end of the set. So we said potential for us to pick three songs here. Why don't we just do it? Because I think it's going to be hard to pick from, but. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff to just reminisce on from yeah, how, yeah. what we've been talking about for the last hour. All right. Well, uh, well I'll go uh, Mr. Soul. You know, again, I, it was great to hear the the way they worked it out. Again, like I talked about the the subject matter, totally relevant, totally appropriate to the time. I thought it was a nice way, to, nice thing for them to mix into the kind of the early mirror ball section. Um, I'll say Big Green Country to to open it up great way to start it off and no no surprise they opened up every single show with it and to pick a third one it's it's really tough like i i love the mirrorball songs i gotta go throw your hatred down number one to coming off that that neil solo section in the middle to have them come out and just just blow the roof off with with throw your hatred down was was uh absolutely wonderful so those those are my three yeah, um, throw your hatred down. I'm kind of, uh, I'm sort of 
in the middle of deciding whether I want that to be my number one or my number two. But since you made it your number one, I might that might kind of sway me in the other direction here. So my number three is actually going to be Needle in the Damage Done just because you, you just get the crowd reaction off of that and they're singing along to it. And it's not it's not a song that really deserves this I mean, it does deserve it, but it's not a song that constitutes it. You know, it's depressing. It's it's the subject matter is not really fit for an arena rock setting. So uh, just to to hear that and to hear the enthusiasm off of that, uh, it just kind of took me for a loop and surprised me. Um, but I, yeah, I'm going to make number two throw your hatred down i think that this was the best of the mirror ball songs from the night it just had so much energy to it especially the band you know they were they were off stage for four songs and you know it, it was kind of like their their encore break they were able to get back there and with neil and it felt like for the rest of the show they were just you know after scenery they were they were a lot more comfortable in their own skin and playing with neil and uh yeah i i, I really felt it with that version too uh and number one i'm gonna have to say cortez because it's just the storytelling and the builds in it like they it just takes you in so many different directions and you know uh, like it's one of it's one of neil's best songs it's one of his most epic songs and uh and it just goes to show that he can, you know, he could do it with Crazy Horse. He can do it with Pearl Jam. He could do it with anybody that basically sets up as his backing band. So that Pearl Jam was able to go in and and be that, I think, is absolutely impressive on their parts. And not to say that I didn't think that they could, but I'm still blown away by them being able to get out of their comfort zone and do that. So yeah, I, I Cortez, the killer number one for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, why don't, why don't we rate it? I don't know if I can, man. It's, it, you, you <laughs> can't it like, you can't rate it on the scale of like a Pearl Jam show because it's not no one, but I, and I don't have enough context of like Neil shows to, to compare it to i mean i yeah i don't I, either yeah i might have to give this one a give this one a pass i i don't either but i'm i'm rating it off of his history and i'm rating it off of kind of just what it means in the band's legacy and i think it's a 10 for that i, th- I think it's uh, you know we mentioned a couple times in the show that it just gets kind of forgotten about because there's no Eddie involved and it's Neil taking over the show and, you know, going back to the polo field show, that wasn't really something that the Pearl Jam fan was craving at the time. Um, So it gets forgotten about, but it really, to see two hall of fame acts on the same stage together, you know, combining their musical forces for, you know, like this, powerful powerful moments um yeah like this is this is the all-star game this is this is the dream team i i i love this i i think this absolutely deserves a 10 rating whether you're considering it part of pearl jam's catalog or if we were a neil a neil jam podcast and just did neil neil shows uh I, i would probably and granted i have also not listen to as many neil shows but uh i would probably give this a 10 based off of just the history of it and knowing you know how pearl jam's career ended up this is this is that special to me oh okay hey you know I'll, and i'll put it out there to the 
to the listeners and the and the patrons, you know, if they if they you know listen to that bootleg, or if you guys want to go back and watch the YouTube video, if you want to send in your ratings, somebody wants to send in and uh, send in a rating for me to uh, substitute this week, I'll, I'll take that. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I, mean, I don't feel I don't feel good about you know putting it out there one way or the other because I don't think I would have given it a ten, you know, I, but. But you know, maybe maybe that's just me. So I, I'm not I'm not going to do with the disservice of of giving it a, giving it a, a ranking when I don't know the whole story. But again, like you know, Mirrorball is is absolutely due for a for a, a resurgence. You know, they just announced that super super deluxe version of Wildflowers. You know, the the Tom Petty record from from the mid '90s. So you know, where where is that deluxe Mirrorball, man? I, I want to hear everything from those sessions. You know, give me give me all the songs, all the all the outtakes. Uh, give me everything. You know, let, they let's should, make and, that happen. And they should put a Merkin ball in there too. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that for me. That's the icing on the cake. I'm 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 buying it if if it's coming with Merkin ball. Yeah, let's so, put a couple uh, of these live shows in there too. Like make it a oh thing. oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, did you have anything on like the final the extra songs? I didn't really write any notes for it. Uh, yeah, you know, it was. You know, it was great to hear on the ocean that that's that is my favorite song on that record. So I I have I loved listening to Jack play on it. But again, it was pretty standard versions. Those are from really early in the tour. So I think they were kind of still feel still you know feeling their way around it. But yeah, I mean, again, I'm the ocean. Fantastic song. I, I love all six seven minutes of it. So that was great listening to Jack play again. You know, Jack's a great drummer. He fits perfectly with what they were doing. So. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to that, and you, know, you get you get peace and love with, without Ed, uh, which you know maybe some people might think is missing something. So, yeah, it it was it was cool that they they bookended it, give you a couple extra songs from from the record that they played. But yeah, it's it, there wasn't much to it. And I, I mentioned before there were there were a couple other songs that Neil played in his solo set, but there weren't a lot of different songs that they mixed in uh, to to the regular sets. Um, I think. There was one show, I think it was in Prague, that they closed the show with Down by the River, which is really yeah. cool, and I wish we had our hands on that. I, if that's yeah. out there, somebody let us know, because that's that's got to be incredible. But they only did it once, that whole entire, the span of that whole entire tour. So if anybody has it, let us know. We want it. Uh, want to hear it. Would have loved for them to play Cowgirl in the Sand, too. I, I think that would have been very interesting. That's another top five Neil song for me. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just such a such a cool aspect of both both Pearl Jam and Neil Young's history here, just to, just to have it there. Um, all right, so uh, we have – let's kind of reiterate some of the things that we were talking about before. If you want to go to Patreon and subscribe and get to listen to our set list draft and get to be a part of a set list draft, get to listen to our Bridge School show that we're putting out this week on 2001, it's all going to be there. Next week we might have a Rearview Mirror Evolution episode. Might be. Put a little asterisk on that. We're going to start working on it. We shall see. No promises, but we're working on it. That should be in the next coming weeks. So head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs if you want to be a part of that. Uh, also tomorrow, remember, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the 27th, last fan standing uh, over Zoom. We will send out the Zoom invites. 
you know, through DMs on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram, wherever, or email, uh, live on 4LexPodcast at gmail.com. Get in touch with us however you can, and we will send you a link to get into the trivia contest, and it should be fun. It's just kind of hanging out with, uh, you know, 20 or so Pearl Jam fans for a whole entire night. So, um, but John, you know, next week is an anniversary week for us. It's kind of our two year birthday anniversary since we started the show. I, I think our first show was released on September 7th, our first episode, but really September 4th is kind of where live on four legs really started. Cause that was the second Fenway show. Um, and that's coming sometime next week, uh, which means it's the end of the summer, which is just absolutely ridiculous time. Absolutely flies. Uh, and we have something for next week, but you know what? I think we're going to save it. Yeah, what do you think? I think we have to. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 here's the thing. On on Wednesday, or maybe Tuesday, either day, you know, keep, keep your eyes peeled. Wait for your Apple notification to pop up and see what pops up. That's all we'll say. Yeah, this would be a great time to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Absolutely. Done so. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we're not going to say anything on social media. We won't even tease it. We won't even hint at what's coming, but, uh, let's just say something's there. So if you want something, we got some, if you need it. Hey, all right. Just keep, keep an eye out on your, on your podcast feed and our social media on Tuesday and Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people will be into it. Yep. Uh, I, I sure think they will. I, I'm, you know, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think that people would have liked it. So uh, it's going to be good. Trust me. You have my word on this. You will enjoy. But for now, no more teasing. Just saying goodbye. So this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and I miss you always. And uh, thanks to everybody that joined the forum, by the way. Some of the people, uh, uh, David Ritter and J- uh, Gabe Spies and Joey Goodsir, Patrick Bagel, of course. Uh, then a couple of people were just listening in for a little while, like Aurelian and Brian Anderson and uh, Randy uh, I can't remember. Randy Morgan. Morgan. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I called him Other Randy because that's, <laughs> that's just – that's just fair for this purpose. Uh, sorry, Randy, but that's just the way it is. Uh, and I can't remember I, if I'm forgetting anybody. I Danny King Danny, was there for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Danny was in there for a minute. Yeah, that was, that was if, great to, to, to see all the names. Yeah, thank, yeah. thanks everybody for, for doing that. Yep, so thanks for being involved with that. And for Neil Jam and, and guess what? We went around the world again. We didn't even say it, but we did another Around the World episode. Mm-hmm. Hit yep. up Ireland. You got to check out what we got going on in September because we're going to hit up a lot of places. We're going to finish up Europe finally, and uh, then we're going to get to South America. But first, there's next week and no teasing for next week. So we'll see you then. Bye, everybody.